Let's go, Spence. Here we are, another episode of Ventura Forward. I couldn't be more stoked. I'm actually frothing at the stoke, as we know Christian from our friend at Makos always tells us. But Spence, how you feeling today, my bud? Uh, all good. It's good to stay with the uh, the voters. You know, we talked to uh, both sheriff candidates. We also talked uh, to uh, district attorney hopeful. Uh, we got that uh, interview on. And now we're going to a proposition that's near and dear to my heart because I go way back to the tree hugging days when I was a kid, went to the anti-nuke rallies and all of that. Uh, but this has got my attention because, you know, it's a very, very significant uh, measure on the ballot. And we really do have to flesh this out and talk to both sides. We did. Right now, we're in the middle of May 2022. And there's signs, there's talk about everywhere. And the most easiest letters and words in this podcast, right? It's prop A and B. And then it's, are you voting yes or no? And we come together for our listeners all the time. So when you're seeing these signs, you're hearing rumors, you're getting the news articles, you're getting the stuff in the mail. What are the facts, right? And it comes down to with A and B here, it's regulations talked about on drilling for oil in the Ventura County area. This props were brought up by our supervisors to bring more regulations that we're going to talk about toward drilling in the, in the county of Ventura and talking about as it moves forward. Now it's on the ballot because do the voters want it after the supervisors approve these new regulations? But we're going to find out about these regulations. Do they stop oil from drilling? Do they just put more environmentally safe safeguards upon that and allow drilling? We've brought in one expert today who's going to be talking about the yes side. So this podcast is going to be talking about the yes and the no side for props A and B on the ballot, okay? Hope you can understand that. Before we get going, Spence, our sponsors again, Ventura Music Hall, big sponsor going. Mr. Mountain Doll, secret sponsor, let's go. And also this new guy, Eminem. Check out Eminem and his adventures in public safety and the cannabis business. The sponsors are coming strong. Also a meeting with Arsenal Comics and Games this week. Timmy's coming strong. Big fans of Ventura Ford. Spence, the sponsors are coming. But let's talk now to Julie Henze, the Food and Water Watch Deputy Campaign Manager. Julie, welcome to Ventura Forward. Thank you, Spencer. You're so, I'm, I'm so excited again to be here to talk to you today about being on the yes side. I had the opportunity of going to Kellogg Park in the city of Ventura this weekend to go to a big rally. Hundreds of people again there talking about the yes side. So we brought you in today to talk a little about the yes side, being the campaign manager. Would you mind telling us how you got involved in this fight to from your guys to save water, correct? Yes, we're worried about community health and the quality of our water. I got involved when I was hired in January uh, for seven months to work on the campaign. Uh, we went ahead, wanted to have a fully staffed campaign so that we could put our best arguments forward and uh, reach as many voters as possible. When we look at saving water, is this uh, close to a fracking issue when it comes to the oil or just general intrusion from your point of view of drilling anywhere around a water source? So what forms of oil extraction worry you the most in this situation? It's not as much the forms as having the old permits that are out there with loose regulations come into alignment with modern permits. There are drillers drilling throughout the county in a safe way, and they're using modern regulations. We want drillers who have permits from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s to drill with the same set of regulations that the modern permit holders have. 
See, now that's interesting. I, I'm going to I'm going to go a little off uh, off the map here, but it would be kind of like if you lived in an area where many years ago you could have a business and now it's um, like residents only and one group of people is working in, under one set of rules where, hey, we can do anything we want with our land and the next door neighbor can't. I didn't know that it was to that degree that if somebody new comes in, new set of regulations, but somebody old can sit on the regulations that were put into effect as far back as the 30s. Correct. So the permits that were handed out to oil drillers in the 30s, 40s, and 50s had four conditions that concern us. They could drill any number of wells, any method of drilling. They were not subject to environmental review, and the permits never expire. My analogy would be if your grandfather got his driver's license before there were seatbelt rules or speed limits. And then 20 years later, laws were introduced, and the state said, you know what? All you guys that got your driver's license before these rules took effect, you can just drive any speed you want. Well, to make it worse, these driver's license would be handed down through the family. So now you've got a 16-year-old who can drive any speed he wants, while his friends all have to go to the DMV, get their driver's license, and follow all the road rules. We, all we want is for the folks who have the looser regulations to have the same regulations as the modern drillers. And if I can follow up with that, since we have been drilling for so long, and this was an oil drilling area, I live out in Fillmore, and when we go over Grimes Canyon, you see drilling everywhere. You see a lot of drilling. So in the old days, oil drilling was definitely a sign of progress, 100%. It was, you know, we were getting it together, and people looked at it as something that was literally saving them and making their lives more convenient. Now that we have a more crowded area, you know, we've uh, back then there's probably 10,000 people in the entire county, and now, you know, we have about 850,000. So there is a little difference in what's going on, but I would like to look at over time. Can you point out where these old leases have affected us in a very, very negative way? Have they played by the rules and advanced with modern technology, or do you think they've been a little cavalier and they have drilled where they weren't supposed to? The drilling that has taken place under the antiquated permits, it's been a matter of we don't have a way to counter or prevent any future issue. There is a spot that was a Superfund site designated in 1989 up on the east side of Fillmore. Chevron, I'm sorry, uh, Texaco had drilled there from 1920 to 1950. Later on, Chevron bought the property and did refining in that space. Um, there are cancer-causing benzene plumes that were found in 1989 in the groundwater under that surface. The soil was also contaminated. It's taken almost 30 years for the soil to be remediated, and they've had to dig up the soil, bury it, and put a cement cap on top of it. That has been completed. It will take another 20 years for the water under that area for the groundwater to become pure again. So it's a 50-year process to get rid of this cancer-causing benzene. We understand that we can't prevent all bad things from happening in our lives, but we want to have safeguards to ensure that we're doing the best we can. And 
the best we could do back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s is a lot different than the best we can do now. We're worried about the underground aquifers being contaminated for the next 50 years. And so why not apply the same standards and regulations to all drilling, not just some drillers, so that we have the best chance of protecting this scarce water supply. It's the only local water supply we have. Julie, thank you again for sharing that opinion. You can see I'm a little quiet over here because I'm taking in this knowledge, soaking it in, similar to what the groundwater does. We've got Julie Henze here. A little bit of information, too, for the listeners is, Julie, your profession, again, back in the day we talked about, was about being a library science, about research. You gave me a line here off air that I'm going to put on air forever here, is that research librarians don't lie. I love that line. Absolutely, because here you are an activist. You're an environmentalist. And people want to always perceive sometimes that you have to be on this side or that side of the fence. We know you're on the trail, right? You like the John Muir Trail by yourself and do great adventures. And I bring that full circle to being is, are you anti-drilling for oil in a sense of where it is? Because our community and our county has been dependent on oil, as you know, for such a long time, a long history. And what I'm hearing from you, it's not anti-drilling. It's not anti-oil production from the yes side. It's more about regulations to help preserve how things are done to protect the environment. So would you mind touching a little bit for me about people on the yes side that may be talking to the people on the no side or people in the middle? Can this and these regulations possibly increase oil production? Can they make the oil industry better in essence in the county of Ventura? Because some people think that if you say yes, you're saying no to jobs, or you're saying no to oil production. Can you please help me understand that a little bit more? Yes, the, the arguments that we've heard from the other side is that this would increase gas prices, shut down oil production, decrease revenue so that our fire department, police department, schools would have less money. None of that, from what I understand, is true. So current production is not affected. The reason is that the, the standards that we want to introduce for the old permits only apply to future new drilling. It's not retroactive. This means that any oil pumping out of the ground right now, hour after hour, day after day, is untouched, completely untouched. All the jobs associated with that oil production, completely untouched. We're only looking at when a driller goes into the zoning clearance office at the county building and they want to do new drilling or drill a, a well deeper. They, right now, apply, give their proposal to the person at the desk, and the person at the desk looks if, if it's an antiquated old permit or a new one. If it's an old one, they say, okay, you're not subject to environmental review. This is only going to take a couple of days to process. You need to write out a check for $330, and we'll let you know when you're good to go. It's the same process used to put a gazebo or a fireplace in your backyard. Same amount of scrutiny, same amount that you write out for the check. If a driller comes in with a modern permit, hands the proposal to the person behind the desk, they are subject to environmental review. It doesn't mean that they're going to get one, but they're eligible for it. And so the person behind the desk might say, you know what? Uh, this will just take a couple of days, you know, where you want to drill is not going to be an issue. Or it might be, you know what, this could be a sensitive area for environmental reasons or because it's too close to a school. 
uh, we need to do our own due diligence and bring in some experts to do an environmental review. It has no effect on, on current oil drilling. So therefore, it's not going to raise gas prices or decrease revenue for the fire departments, teachers, or police department. And the interesting thing about schools, we all remember that Beverly Hills High School, they had an active oil drilling unit on that campus for, I think, the better part of 50, 60 years. And it, I, I do believe it was decommissioned within the last, like, 10 to 15 years. So they literally, and it paid for, <laughs> oddly enough, it paid for a lot of campus activities. So we have been really, really close to oil drilling for a lot of our lives, you know, people who lived around it in the community. It'd be interesting to look at, at places, heavy drilling places like Texas and the like, to see what's happened over the years. I've run into a real problem here, and I think we're kindred spirits in this way. As a kid, I was a hardcore environmentalist, tree hugger. I really was, and I am proud of that. I, I really was. I did the Diablo Nuke rally, I everything. You know, we were up and, and really, really concerned. But as I looked at my position, it's interesting how you, you say, well, we need this for that. And I think you said it very nicely earlier is not to stop everything, but not to be reckless. So my question is between the two sides, and Spencer just brought it up, one seems like they're saying this is a work shutdown and foreign oil is all we're going to get. And the other side is, is saying, you know, we're going to doom our water supply. So it, it, is, it feels like a fear-based initiative, a fear-based proposition. One, we go broke. The other, we poison the water. So with me, knowing that we need gasoline, knowing that we need fuels like this, it's a really interesting argument to you know sway because again i i was born of environmentalists but now knowing that we do need to have our oil for jobs and for for national security it's it's a problem you know and looking at like you said with your research i think i'm suffering right now from maybe a confirmation bias where i'm just going to pay attention to what i want to to get me to that answer so i'm really really happy that we do have you in here today and being the researcher uh, that you are. So I am really torn, Spencer. Spence. Really torn. And uh, your emotion. On this initiative, because when you came in here, I was the other way. Now I feel like the guy on the jury. And I'm going, oh, that guy's got to be innocent. Then the other guy comes, oh, hell no, that guy's guilty. I, I really feel myself being pulled here because you present a, an excellent excellent argument. And um, really thank you for that, uh, for stating your position you know, so well. So now you've screwed me up, is what <laughs> well, I'm saying. You totally you, screwed me up. I'll give you another fact. Please. Uh, based on... we got plenty of time. Not even, not even research, but just uh, the, the local water um, oversight group. I, I apologize, I don't remember their name. But they put out um, a few years ago uh, numbers about where the water comes from that's, that you see... that serves our communities, industrial, municipal, and agriculture. And in the agriculture column, 85% of the water used in agriculture in our county comes from the underground aquifer. And there are aquifers around the county. Uh, one of them is on the Oxnard Plain. So 85% of the water comes from these local water sources. And as we know, these aquifers are becoming depleted. And in fact, the Fox Canyon Aquifer has been overdrafted. The state agency overseeing the aquifers has labeled it as in the most critical category of overdraft, and it's being watched very closely. 
there's only around a dozen out of over a hundred um, aquifers that are in this category. So the fact that the Fox Canyon Aquifer is already overdrafted, and it has hundreds of oil wells that have been drilled through it over the last hundred years. Uh, we need to worry about the future and and what might happen. There's no reason to be reckless if we can just have more safeguards in place. Uh, I've learned that aquifers can be stacked on top of each other. And, and so there are six aquifers under the Oxnard Plain. Um, mm-hmm. And and we're just diminishing the water in that area. Um, there are 8,000 wells that have been drilled in our county over the last 100 years, and about half of them are still active. Uh, so we just want new wells in the future to be drilled more safely. I think that I get the right to is a conversation about the wells. Um, I like to pride myself in having water knowledge here. You know, we talk about the upper basin, the lower basin, the mound, and the Piru here in our main plain area, right, with our aquifers. You get into conversations with United, United District, with uh, Cayagas District. Some of these uh, experts also say that there's new technology out that says that these aquifers can supply water for the next 100 years without being affected. That's a type of information going around that I don't think we really know as a community and we're still finding out but more importantly can we put regulations to protect the water you talked about the fox aquifer where is that canyon located that aquifer the fox Fox canyon aquifer it's the oxnard plain before you go up the grade over to thousand oaks cool thank you so much and bringing that conversation full force again about the aquifers because we know about the state water connection coming down to the city of ventura doesn't have a connection to with the current eir and we know that ojai is trying to get that connection as well the water conversation is so part of a and b people to understand is it stopping the water is it going into agriculture and what parts of our county is it really affecting and I go back to our original story we talked about as we're here with Julie Henzi again with the Food and Water Watch as she's a deputy campaign manager. It was a few years ago, Julie, we talked about why the supervisors brought these propositions and these regulations to fruition. It's because we talked about in the Oxnard Plains, there was something about the well. Is that correct? Right. So there was a situation where uh, contamination was found in some water wells, irrigation wells. Um, the USGS, U.S. Geological Service, came in to investigate. And, you know, the it was found that there was some extreme drilling going on right in the area. And the study, the investigation, was not able to have enough funding and time to fully test the water in enough wells to determine the exact source of the contamination. And so the results were inconclusive, but what it did was bring to light the fact that there were these uh, companies drilling with old permits. So that's when it kind of got on the Board of Supervisors' radar. And uh, so after a bit of time, they decided, the the attorneys and the planning uh, division of the county looked into this. Um, and decided, you know what, we need to maybe bring up to speed these these old permits. And they're, you know, they're typewritten. They've got them in their boxes in the in the archives. These, you know, they're they they they're on brittle paper. Um, that's how old these things are. Wow, that would just I would like to see some of these things to think too. Like, what is? And so my last comment of this, and, I, and then we can wrap up here for you, Shirley. I'm Spence. I know you're getting emotional. I'm getting emotional too. Is 
I look at the profitability, right? If we're looking to have more regulations to bring it up to speed to everybody else to make it a fair playing field, we're gonna be protecting the environment with regulations that seems to be proven no matter how much water we take more or oil, more regulations will, will always be improved because technology always proves that we can save earth by the more safeguards we put on by it. It comes down to the economic plan. But right now, and we've talked about here with Spence, is about how oil, the price of barrel, isn't as high as it's ever been. I think it's $110, $120. It's been as high as 150 or 60. But yet gas prices are double. So if, gas, if oil isn't as high as it's ever been, why is gas? And so I get back to the other side of the no vote. If they're arguing it's going to put all these jobs, it goes to the economic plan is to figure out the gas prices because if you can't figure out the gas prices you got to regulate it and that's where i'm at with my emotion is i don't think the gas companies personally are telling that story for us or are dictating on the pump if you're regulating and i don't know how much i trust the gas and oil companies that if they drill more it'll trickle down to us on cheaper gas i'm such a cynic it's insane you know i always look at everybody what's your agenda that's always when somebody presents something to me my first thought is, what's your agenda? And one of the big things with water that worries me, as everybody knows who's heard me speak in this uh, county over the years, my dad was a water guy. He was in the water business forever. And it doesn't matter how much water you have if it's polluted. When people are worried about a drought, it's not necessarily the amount of water. If the water you have available gets polluted, you're done. You know, that's a very, very bad thing. And that's where this fear rises up in me, because people say, we have plenty of water. Well, not if it's polluted. So this does present a, a difficult challenge to see which way we should go on this. It is, it's, a, it's a really a fascinating topic. So if we could finish up here, give your absolute passionate, spirited pitch to the folks listening on why they should vote your way. What, what, what is the closing statement here? The future of our water is at stake and we can continue for the time being to get water and oil out of the ground safely it we don't have to choose it can be both if we vote yes on measures a and b and if we if the if we believe that oil is regulated tightly already and the oil industry is proud of that then why are these grandfathered permits, grandfathered in permits allowed to continue? You'd think they'd want to brag and say, we're having everyone follow the same set of rules, not two sets of rules. I, Julie, I think you said that perfectly. You Sounds gave, like a librarian. You gave, if yeah. you gave the information, Sounds. you came into Ventura Ford, you shared the stoke, you got the positive energy. We're so thankful you came in today to provide this information for our listeners, the community, the 805. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Nicely done. All right, Spence. We're going to continue this part of the podcast in a different edit, but we know that we got the other side coming in. The no is coming in to talk about it and how we can go again, provide that information for you. So let's this podcast continues. I want to say one more time to our sponsors out there, Ventura Real Estate Company. Thank you so much. Ventura Music Hall. We are rocking with you guys as well. To Mr. Mountain Doll and Mr. M&M, the sponsorships are there and Arsenal Comics and Games coming for you soon and providing that information across the 805. Thank you so much. Let's get going, Spence.
Okay, Spence, let's keep going down with this podcast. Ventura Forward, we've been getting into it on the topic of props A and B, yes and no. During these elections, June's coming up. We want to help our local residents know who to vote for and their hearts and minds so they have the right information. Absolutely. And I have had an interesting run through all of this. I've gone back to my hippie days when I was a kid, the way I felt when I was 15, the way I felt when I was 30, the way I felt with children. And these conversations are important because as we go through life, our opinions changed and modified by education and experience. And so getting experience from the experts in the field is the best thing we can do. And that's why we have this podcast. (laughs) And that's what we've learned even in this short period. Our opinions have changed right now. And that's okay. That's America. That's capitalism. We talk about our history in this county spent with your family in Thousand Oaks, mine in Ventura. This is so deep for us being here for generations because we talk about the agriculture. We talk about the oil. We talk about the water. The three biggest topics that I believe support our community, along with the hills and the ocean, of course, and our amazing style and culture with Ventura Ford. We talk about the vibes all the time. And in the studio right now, to be discussing the no side is going to be Louise Lampara. She's the executive director of the Coalition Lab, which stands for Labor, Ag, and Business. The CoLab is here, Representative Ventura. Louise, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. I've met you throughout the community. I just was really blown away by your knowledge, the complexity of your conversation, and through the CoLab. You know, it's fun to have someone represent the side that stands for labor, ag, and business in our community. So if you might tell us a little bit about CoLab, which we're talking today about how you're not personally coming today to represent the campaign for the no side, because we know there's a campaign on that side. You're here to talk today in representation of the executive director for CoLab in your personal opinions, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, So CoLab was formed about 12 years ago, um, and it initially had uh, a, a very strong agricultural focus. Um, that's because the uh, it actually came about when uh, five or six ranchers uh, farmers, etc., were sitting around a kitchen table drinking beer one evening, and they all realized that they were having challenges with permitting and regulations at the county level. And there was really nobody who could answer their questions or help with pushing to streamline the process. And there it was, over a kitchen table, over beers, collab was formed. It's amazing, and it's interesting for a lot of us. When we hear information, I had the opportunity, we even spoke about this on the other portion of the um, podcast, is the fact that when do you actually speak not only to the air quotes experts, but also uh, to the people who are actually in the field. And I found that when I talked to farmers about different ag issues, I had an assumption in my head, like maybe water usage, and they'd say, Well, let me set you straight on that, because you're actually speaking to the men and women who for decades and centuries have worked the field. So one of the things I like about the conversation that we're having here is we are trying to get to the roots of all of this. You know, the why is this such an important issue? If we vote one way, will it totally lock down the possibility of drilling again? If we go the other way, will it poison the water? Because a lot of the times the sides that are taken are very, very hard line, you know, and they make it sound like it's a disaster on either hand. So, Spencer, what we've discovered here is going through the conversation and and just trying to find the truth for us and for our listeners. 
Yeah, and our basic understanding right now about A and B and why they were brought into place was to bring on more regulations and restrictions when it came to drilling oil in Ventura County and not taking any new restrictions, just matching up what old restrictions were with old permitting processes and bringing them up to date to the current regulations. Louise, would you please give us an understanding of what you think the basic understanding of Props A and B do and represent for the county voters? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, as, as CoLab, we, we like to view things um, holistically. Like, like you were saying, Tom, you know, we... We, we do talk to not just the farmers, we talk to labor, we talk to various industries, et cetera. Um, what, uh, what we're finding is, is that that's actually a fallacy. So my background is in environmental regulatory. Uh, I, I was an environmental regulator for about 11 years. Oil wells, no matter the age, no matter when they were drilled, every oil well must comply with every environmental regulation on the books at the local, state, and federal level already as we sit here today. So what measures A and B actually don't add environmental regulatory protection. What they actually do is change the definition of new. Um, so, so if you read the county council's impartial analysis in the voter information handbook that was distributed to all county voters, um, county council actually says in there that this will impact existing oil wells. And the way that is, is that in the fall of 2020, the Board of Supervisors modified the definition of what new oil well work was. Mm -hmm. So it's not just drilling a new well. Their new definition, or their, their modified definition of new, shall I say, um, actually includes maintenance work on existing wells. So if we strip away, you know, all of the, it's, if we strip this down to a sim the simplest example I can think of, okay, is let's pretend you have a swimming pool in your backyard. You put that swimming pool in some years ago, and at the time you went through all of the permitting, um, you got the government's permission to put in your swimming pool. You built it. Over the years, you kept up with, you know, now your fence has to be five feet high. Now your fence has to be six feet high. Whatever, whatever the, the rules are, right? Now we're getting close to Memorial Day, and you want to get your pool going. So you want to change out your filter in your pool. But the government tells you, well, you know, we changed the definition of new swimming pool work. And now you will need our permission to change your filter. So what's gonna happen to your swimming pool without yep. being able to do this maintenance work? So in effect, that's what A and B actually do. Very interesting to think that it affects the current permitting, because from my understanding, we had, uh, Julie was just in here, right? And she said that it didn't affect that, right? Spence, for our understanding, is that what we heard? So, so how do we get to the, basically, what we're finding out here? We need to get deeper into the voting to find out here, because this is something, that, again, that gets back to our conversation again, because everyone's pro-environmentalist. As we're talking to Louise, we talked about you, you worked 11 years as a state regulator 
for, for a water region, right, on a board. You had the opportunity to work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Describe a little bit of your past work so we know to where the reference is from and where your opinions are coming from, please. So, so my work with the Regional Water Quality Control Board was uh, doing water quality uh, monitoring and evaluation. Um, mostly in the Bay Delta area, which, you know, that's another area where there's a lot of controversy, a lot of, you know, back and forth, highly complex water system. Um, so I learned a lot about water quality, water quality studies, how to read water quality data during that time. Um, then when I went to work um, as a federal regulator, you know, I did a lot of endangered species permitting. I did more water quality permitting. And for for several years, I was actually on a Department of Interior task force that regulated oil companies. Very interesting. And then you said briefly about your career, too, and the Ventura experience, that I like, because it's called Ventura Forward. And you talked about you came home, back to the city of Ventura, you had a chance to work as on an ambulance as an EMT for a few years, and then you took, took another career after that. Maybe a little explainable of that for me. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I reached a point where um, I wanted a new challenge. I wanted, I wanted to do something other than regulatory work and uh, decided for a complete and utter career shift and became a paramedic in the 911 system, um, the, most of which was downtown Ventura, Ventura Avenue. So home. <laughs> Home, absolutely. And that word comes up right now because you took a job as an environmental environmentalist for Era Energy. I think Era Energy is the term in our town right now that needs to be understood and explained more about how it's a company that's formed almost and controlled by Exxon and Mobil a little bit. Would you mind briefly describing what Era Energy is and represents in our community? Because we see it a lot. I believe there's a lot of misperception about this term ERA and what it actually, uh, what it is and what it represents? Well, you know, I can't speak for ERA sure. um, because I'm no longer, you know, representing them. Sure. But um, ERA, ERA is the oil company that currently is operating most of what's called the Ventura oil field, which is off the 33 there. Um, they they actually have a, a reputation for environmental excellence. Um, I worked for them for about eight years doing their environmental compliance program here in Ventura. And uh, during that time, you know, I, I, I kept many of the emails from regulators at all levels praising ERA for, for their, you know, environmental compliance and, and forward thinking. Um, you know, they are a they are a company that that is partially owned by Shell and Exxon, um, but they operate as their own corporation. And one of the things that we uh, discussed in the uh, other side of the conversation is when people start saying things like uh, water intrusion near schools, near ag, near the it it makes you nervous because you are concerned about pollution. We all know. We absolutely need oil, and for crying out loud, on the the county seal, there's oil. You know, it, it's it is part of our community, and it has been from the get go. So when we talk about these fears, and for all of us who have kids, and you know, they go to school, and you, you look at things like the danger possibilities with agriculture and with schools, and that there could be an oil well somewhere near a school. Do you think those are fears that are real, or do you think that is just uh, the other side talking to try to instill that in our hearts? Well, I think we need to go back to, you know, what, what I said initially, that the oil industry is already regulated 
and they must comply with every environmental regulation that's on the books. So right? the I, so. excuse me for jumping in mm. here really quickly because we we keep hearing the thing way back in 1930. So they're living on these old rules and they don't have to follow these new rules. They do anymore. They do. They do. Yes. And that every seems to well be a strong position from the other side saying, and we've we discussed all the analogies. It would be just like, but that's one of the fears. Mm-hmm. But they still have to comply with new restrictions and safety guidelines. Absolutely. Every well has to comply with current state standards for well integrity, um, which includes monitoring, testing, pressure testing, etc. Every oil well has to comply with, you know, Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act. I mean, you, you name it, they have to comply with it. If we could stay right there for a moment, then what would be the Differences if you had an old brittle piece of paper from 1940 that you had an old agreement on, what would be the difference than at all with somebody who was having a brand new permit? So the difference is is that the old permits do not have an expiration date. Um, and why that is simply the way permitting was done at the time. Oil production was viewed as land use. Um, and so as land use, it's just like saying that we're going to put an expiration date on your residential zoning, right? It, okay, you've lived in your house now for 20 years. That's long enough, mm-hmm. right? So, so that, that was the way permitting was done. Again, what AMB does is it does not add a single regulatory uh, compliance oversight. What it does is it puts the power of whether you can do anything moving forward, maintenance work, et cetera, in the hands of three elected officials. And from that original agreement that they uh, agreed upon in 1940, the 1940s piece of paper, would these then change the rules and regulations that you have from 1940? Because there has to be an advantage in a sense, from having the old contract without an expiration date, right? What's the advantage of having that without an expiration date opposed to having one with an expiration date, per se? Well, now now we're probably getting into a discussion about vested rights. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, it's not, it, you and I, or, or the three of us, even if we chipped our money together, we're not going to pay to drill an oil well, sure. right? Um, so there is, there is massive investment in infrastructure, et cetera. That, that goes into oil production. So, so the, the difficulty is if you shorten the time period of a permit, mm-hmm. then you essentially make it not economically worthwhile to make that um, And that's investment. right, too, is infringing on the rights of the property owner of the original business plan, no matter how long ago it was, for me in this instance, is really understanding the original plan and taking the rights away from the owner's is part of that conversation that we're totally happy to have here. Well, and, and if I can you know, bring up an interesting point, when um, the discussion was happening at the Board of Supervisors in the fall of 2020, um, you know, county council's response to exactly the question you asked is that in their opinion, the oil company should have had enough time under these permits. Now, Colab, looking at things more holistically, right? That's a, that's an easy argument to apply to other land uses as well, such as our multi-generational agricultural industry. If someone 
if a politician decides that there's a better use for a piece of ag land, would they not simply apply that same argument? You've had enough time mm-hmm. to produce food, and mm-hmm. now we can remove that land use right. So looking at it holistically, that is one of the concerns. That's, that's a great example, and I think you know, that's really more diabolical. We talked about at the beginning of this, how you know the ag and the water and the oil really plays hand in hand. Going back real fast to the beginning of his 2022, we talked about, we heard about Fox Canyon and what was found over there. Would you basically just brush the history that you know as well, too, is that the story that we heard that was a rancher had applied to do a new drill, found that there were some chemicals in the water, and that's what kind of got the supervisors to get this kind of more to light in these older contracts about two years ago. Is that your understanding as well? Um, it's actually it's actually uh, uh, goes back to what I was saying about, you know, all of the regulation that that every oil well already has to fall under. Um, USGS, uh, U.S. Geological Survey, which is a federal agency, um, they do groundwater monitoring um, throughout the United States. Um, They were doing groundwater monitoring in the Oxnard Plains area and discovered um, thermogenic gases. Now, thermogenic gases occur naturally in groundwater anywhere where there is, there are traces of of oil naturally, right? Um, because God put the oil in the ground. Sure. So, so you know that raised a concern. Um, USGS reported their preliminary findings to the Regional Water Quality Control Board, um, and when they did their final report they found no indication that there was contamination from the oil production activities in Fox Canyon. Now, the Board of Supervisors actually took it a step further. The county took it a step further, you know, because Fox Canyon is incredibly uh, important to agriculture, to, to our water reserves, right? So they actually took the step of hiring an outside consultant um, who is very, very well respected. The county actually said um, about this environmental consultant that the environmental activist groups actually have a lot of respect for this company. Um, the, The gentleman who reviewed the data from USGS and other data that's available Um, from various other projects, is a nationally renowned hydrogeologist, um, quite an expert on water quality. And he issued a report to the county um, that actually states, and I'm actually reading the quote here, the results do not indicate that oil and gas operations have impacted groundwater quality and that none of his review other, either of the, the USGS study, other hydrogeology studies, that none of these, or rather, no, these did not identify ongoing threats to groundwater quality. You know, so groundwater another, oh, is safe. And another thing that's interesting about where you find bad stuff, and I, I, I actually looked this up on my phone as we were chatting here, uh, cyanide, arsenic, and other toxins are found in cherries, peaches, and apricots. Absolutely. So it is one of those things that we have to be careful of when we say, well, this was discovered there. It wouldn't stop me from eating a peach. You know, and that, that's an interesting thing when stats are used like that. And we talked about the natural oil on beaches and things like that and the tar. So I think this is one of the problems. And again, being the classic layperson, I take no claims to intellect here at all. 
I can be pulled from one side to another on the conversation. You know, it's really, you hear that person, you go, wow, that's scary. We're not going to do that. Then you hear the other person say, well, it's not scary at all. So we will do that. And I think it's one of the challenges that the voters have in these. And so, you know, to really break it down to see where the truth and the facts come from. So we really... Uh, it's great to have you on board with us. We want to present both sides. We've got a few minutes left just to make sure that you cover all the ground that you mm-hmm. really want to address. Is there another point that you would like to Absolutely. bring up to the listeners? Absolutely. You know, I think I think one thing that, you know, again, Colab likes to look at things holistically, right? And how are they going to impact everyone living here and all the industries? And, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about are gas prices, and energy prices. Uh, and I saw this morning coming in 604 down at the corner per gallon, right? And it, we need to realize that California oil production is only 30% of what we actually use every day. Every gallon of oil produced in California stays in California. Every gallon goes to refineries where it is turned into all the products that we need, including gasoline, um, uh, jet fuel, et cetera. Um, And like I said, it's only 30% that's produced here in California. The other 70 some odd percent comes from foreign sources, which include uh, the majority actually comes from the rainforests in Venezuela. So if we decrease production here, we will be buying more rainforest oil. We also get it from places like Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and until the recent Ukraine conflict, quite a bit from Russia, over 15 million barrels last year from Russia. So the gap will have to be filled somewhere. And it's going to be filled by more foreign sources. None of these other countries have the same environmental or human rights oversight that happens right here in California. Plus, do we want to be at the mercy of their benevolence to give us more oil? And it has to be shipped too, which takes a lot of energy. So the irony of saying, you know, it's, it's bad for the environment, but then you, you truck, ship oil mm-hmm. from Russia. You take it from other places, too. So, uh, excellent point. Spencer? Yes. I mean, that gets back to my, one of my main questions here is about job numbers, job creation, job sustainability, and oil production. Do you believe that voting no, excuse me, voting yes, right? Voting yes to put more regulations will stop and decrease oil productions? Will voting yes also help lose jobs in our in our community? Because, and my thought is, if you create more regulations upon the oil industry, it shouldn't really affect jobs in oil production. Please help me understand that. Well, one, you're you're assuming that the three majority politicians will grant permission for the maintenance work to occur. We can't assume that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, I 100% believe that it will cost not only oil field jobs, but we have to recognize that energy prices are the primary driver of inflation 
And inflation is the number one challenge facing our businesses, facing agriculture, facing, you know, the restaurant industry, et cetera, here in Ventura County. I mean, you you and I, Spencer, have talked about how agricultural gross revenues have remained flat over the last 11 years. Inflation means that it's losing money. Losing money means lost jobs. Thank you so much for uh, explaining that again and getting this side down on what we're calling the no side of props A and B. Louise Lampara, it's been great to have you in today. Spencer has enjoyed this. Spencer, it's been emotional for us today, right? This, I think people are going to walk away to be like, wow, that was some great 805 information about the past, the present, and the future about what it means to understand this complexity of ag, water, and oil in our county. Yeah, definitely. Great conversation. We thank you so much for joining us and thank you. helping us inform the public. Okay, guys, we're going to be back again next week with another podcast. Until then, stay cool and be good. Let's go. And as always, our wonderful music brought to you by the local Ventura band, Ray Fresco. Ray Fresco, thank you so much for the great tunes. And we look forward to seeing you guys at Surf Rodeo this year. Yeah.